Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. In our episode today, Senior Pastor Heath Bauer has been walking us through a series that brings a biblical focus to family. The series is called Families by the Book. In this series, we take a look at what real biblical parenting and living looks like within the home. Today's talk is titled, Are We in Love? If you are in the Ashland or Tri-State area, we would love to see you. Stick around until the end and find out how you can connect with us here at Unity Baptist Church. This morning we're talking about love. Now this is a concept, whether you're married, unmarried, or not, this is something that's broadly applicable to all of us because this is not a passage unique to speaking to husbands and wives, but we're going to be making application there because we're teaching on the home these several weeks. Now love is a confusing concept. That's something I found out at an uh, early age. Uh, The first girl that I ever liked was in seventh grade. You know, you moved out of this school and they combined schools together and then all of a sudden you, you run into people you've never met before and there was this, this one little girl who caught my eye and I decided, you know what, I think I'm gonna see if she wants to, uh, I don't know, be my girlfriend. So uh, I did what every bold, confident boy does and I told my sister, hey, will you go ask her out for me? And so she did and she went over to this girl and said, hey, my, my, my brother, I guess, you know, wants to know if you're interested in being his girlfriend. She's like, okay. Now, my sister brought that news back to me, and fully expecting a no, uh, that's about where my plans ended right there. I had no idea what, what, what an expression of love could or should look like, and so I didn't do anything. I didn't even talk to this girl. Once she agreed to be my girlfriend, I was like, that's it. I guess that's, uh, I, I got what I wanted out of this deal. I can say that I have a girlfriend. And, but I never talked to her, and this would really bother her, as it would most of you. So she would come up to my sister and say, you know, he said he wanted to be my boyfriend, but like he never talks to me. What's, what's wrong? Does he not like me? Does he think I'm ugly? What's, what's the problem? She says, no, 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 I'll, I'll tell him. He'll, he'll talk to you. Well, eventually she says, hey, Heath, if you want to keep this girl as a girlfriend, you better do something with her and talk to her. So I invited her out to a church youth rally. We went bowling and, you know, because that's, that's what you do. It was very romantic. And so we went bowling. She wouldn't let me pay for her game. She wouldn't let me pay for her snacks. I felt really awkward because this is about the first time we ever talked. And so after that awkward bowling experience, we went back to school and I just kind of went back to my old ways and I never really talked to her ever. And at one point in time, she comes up to my sister and says, listen, he's a nice guy, but the guy never talks to me, never wants to do anything together. If this is what it's gonna be, we should probably just break up. And I agreed. I'm like, okay. And I just... And I just went back to eating my rectangular school pizza, you know, that you get, and you're drinking your milk, and I just went on with my day. And somehow, that was still not the most awkward thing that happened to me in junior high. And, but that's how I saw love. I didn't know what love was. To me, love was attraction. I see this girl from way across the room, and I go, oh, she's pretty. Maybe we should date. And, you know, we laugh and we chuckle because that's a seventh grade kid. But how many of us, we take that even into later years and we, we date because we looked at someone and we thought, huh, he's a good looking guy. He's kind of funny. We ought to date. You know, we just kind of start there. And this is not a message on dating per se. But even as adults in our married life, we can carry some of these youthful ideas of love into adulthood, can't we? As a kid, we think that just because I'm attracted to a person, therefore I love them. 
but even as adults, we say things like, you know, people fall in love, you know, we're expressing that someone feels increasingly attracted to somebody. We talk about being in love, that they're in a state where they're continually attracted to the same person. We even talk about falling out of love, that they no longer feel attracted to this person. They don't really want to be near them. And we often as adults express love as a, a feeling, as an emotion of an attraction. But biblically, love is not attraction. You don't have to be attracted at all to a person to love them. Now, you should be somewhat attracted to a person before you say, I do. I mean, that's just rough. Every day, wake it up, nah, you know. You're not attracted at all to them. I think there should be some measure of attraction, but you don't have to be attracted to love somebody because biblically speaking, love is what we do for one another. It's not attraction. Consider the people who, who got together in the Bible for attraction. Samson finds this Philistine girl and says, Dad, go get, me, get her for me as a wife. She looks good to my eyes. Dad says, don't you have some girl amongst us that is a believer? I want her. So he gets her. They, have, they get married. He poses a riddle. He loses the riddle because his wife sold him out. He goes off and does all these things to pay for this riddle, comes back, and now she's married to one of his friends. I mean, that, that's where attraction gets you. There's no real commitment to one another. You just, you were attracted to one another. Samson tries it again with Delilah. How'd that work? Okay, so, you know, he's attracted to this girl for the, all the wrong reasons, I might add. And in the end, she finds the secret of his strength, cuts off his hair, and betrays him to the enemy. Potiphar's wife, attracted to Joseph. Joseph won't fornicate with her, so she accuses him of rape, has him sent in jail. This, if you notice, attraction doesn't always end terribly well. And there's a lot of us, I think, who we're attracted to somebody, so we start dating them. We do it long enough. We stay attracted to them. We get married, and we look at them. We're like, man, there's, we really have nothing in common. There's, no, there's a lot of lighter fluid there. It, got, it was exciting at first, but now we realize there's, there's no embers there to keep that fire going throughout the years of marriage. So 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to look at what God says love is. And love is not how you feel about a person. Love is what you do. As it's been said in the book, love is a verb. Love is something we actively do for one another. And can I tell you, if you find yourself that you're married to someone right now and you're no longer really attracted to them, you don't, and I'm not even just talking physical attraction, you just don't really care for them that much. You don't really like who they've become. Can I challenge you to listen to what the Bible says about love? and commit in your heart to doing these things to your mate, even if you don't feel attracted. And you, you might be surprised that that attraction does not come back. 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to look first at the importance of love. Love is the most important thing in the universe. God is love. Without love, he's going to say here, what is life about? He says, if I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, but, and have all faith, so as to remove mountains, he's a very spiritual guy, but have not love, he says, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, as we've said before, these, past, these verses here, Paul's speaking hyperbole. He's speaking in exaggeration. These are things that we cannot do or we can't often do. Or they're just, they're the extreme of something. You're not expected to do or to be these things. But even if you were, you know, you're, uh, you know, you give away all that you have to the poor. Look how philanthropic I am. But if you do it without love, what good was that? You gain nothing. 
Let's say you're, you're he, says, he says, I, have, I understand all mysteries, I have all knowledge. You sit around in jeopardy and you're rattling off all the answers, impressing all of your friends. But if you don't have love, you're just a know-it-all to them. It's nothing, it doesn't prove you're standing with them. None of these things improve. In fact, he says, you can have all of these life skills. You can, you can make a lot of money. You can have a, uh, a lot of houses and cars and things. You can be highly talented and skilled, but without love, what does he call us? He says, a, clang, a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Now, I used to believe that that was actually an instrument initially, but if you study the Greek, do you know a noisy gong? Don't think like something in a Chinese temple, gong, you know. It's not that at all. I'm gonna show you what a gong looks like. Bat boy? Okay, here we are. Got a little AV for you this morning, a little sophistication. You say, I didn't realize that they had this back in the uh, Corinthian days. Evidently, Easton's been in business a long time. Okay, this is a noisy gong. A noisy gong is just pieces of metal. And what he's saying is, if you, you, you have all of these things, but you don't have love, he says, you're just pieces of metal hitting each other. Anybody enjoying this? You want me to keep going? Okay, as I'm doing that, you're just, your first thought that goes through your head was, please God, let him stop. I, I heard 300 prayers go out right now. Please God, just have him stop this. It's hurting my ears. This is a noisy gong. It's just metal clashing on metal. It's a loud, grating, irritating, piercing noise. And yet this is what God says people perceive us as. It, no matter how skilled you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter what you drove to church today, no matter how important you are on your job, I'm a senior VP at such and such, but if you're not a loving person, friends, that's how you sound to people. We're just noisy, we're irritating, and people are just, they don't wanna be around us. He says, bad boy, uh, he says, you are, he says, I am nothing, Furthermore, he says, I gain nothing. In other words, you're, we're, without love, we're Ebenezer Scrooge. That we have all this money, we have all of these things, but without love, really, what's it all about? He says, in the end of things, in the final analysis, you've gained nothing in life if all you've done is acquire things. He says, love is that important to our life. I am nothing and I gain nothing. Number two here, we're gonna look at the test of love. And this is where we're gonna spend the entire rest of the message, is just what does God say love truly is? So for that, uh, we're gonna look at 1 Corinthians 13, verses four through seven. This is God's test of true love. How can we test somebody, by the way, for true love? If Disney animation, by the way, is to be believed, it's love's true kiss. Is that how we figure out if somebody loves us or not, or whether we truly love them? Well, I don't know. Let me kiss them and then find out if there's love there. Can I tell you, when you kiss somebody, it always feels like love? It doesn't matter if there's anything substantive to your relationship at all. You kiss somebody, or, or furthermore, you try to prove your love, and people will push you into uh, premarital intimacy. It's physical intimacy. It's always gonna feel like love. And by the way, ladies, if you have a guy pushing you into that, saying you need to prove your love to me, that's not a proof of love at all. What is it? It's a proof of lust. It's a proof that that man, I say man because a lot of times the man pushing it, that he loves himself more than you because if he truly loved you, he'd consider what's good for you. So the test of true love, sorry Disney, it's not love's true kiss. It's not some physical thing that once we connect, now I know. I, I know that I'll know when I kiss that guy or I kiss that girl, I, I'll know that's love. 
God is gonna give us a test of love in 1 Corinthians 13 that even if there is no kiss initially, even if there's no you know, dressmaking mice and you know, animated birds landing on your shoulder, no fairy godmother, if these things are present in your relationship, there is love. If these things are not present in your relationship, there is not biblical love. There is a test to love. So this morning as we go through this, let's just kind of evaluate ourselves here. Are we loving people? Here's symptoms of love. Symptom number one, love is patient. This is a compound Greek word I've told you before. It's macrothumia. Macro, we understand macro. Something big, a lot of something. Macrothumia means pain. That we are able to endure a great deal of pain before we blow up or we clam up and we pull away. We're able to endure pain. Sometimes this word is translated long-suffering that I have a long fuse. I don't just immediately blow up at people, that I, I can tolerate pain from them, a great deal of pain. It's a lot of what we talked about this last week in magnanimity. I'm a big person, big enough to handle your pain. Early church father John Chrysostom said, patient is a word which is used of the man who is wronged, who has it easily in his power to avenge himself, but will never do it. That's a patient person. If you are this person here, can I tell you, you're exhibiting a trait of love. You are long-suffering. If we're impatient, however, that we, it takes very little to make us upset with somebody, very little before we blow up, very little before we pull away, and we stop coming to church, we stop coming, talking to that person, we stop talk, you know, talking to our mate, and we just pull away very easily, it's a symptom of a lack of patience and a lack of love. When we are unloving, we are not, or when we are lack of, lacking patience, not only are we unloving, the Bible would also say that we are spiritually immature in that area. You see, uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1 says, The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Vexation of a fool. A fool, by the way, is biblically somebody who is not living according to the wisdom of God. Generally speaking, a fool is a lost person. He says that kind of person, someone who's foolish or behaving like a lost person, you can be a believer and still be behaving in carnal, fleshly ways like the old man. He says, but when we do that, our, our, the, his vexation is known at once. As soon as he feels pain, he shows it. Now, maybe they yell, you know, and we just, we just bark off, you know, it's something, we just start barking at people. Or sometimes we just, we immediately show it in our face. You know, just, oh, what? You know, and like, it's just, it's immediate. It's sort of like when we would have sometimes volunteer teams, they'd come to China, and we would feed them food that was unfamiliar to them, you know, and the, you know, all of our guests are sitting around the table, and they'll put it in front of them, and they'll just look at the food and go, what? What is this? You know, it's just, they're vexed, they're vexed, because this is not a happy meal. This isn't fries, this isn't Burger King, it's not Pizza Hut. What is this? This is chicken feet. You know, what is that? And so they, they just immediately get vexed and they, they show it immediately. The Bible says that's not patience. Loving says, huh, chicken foot. Last time I saw one of those, it was on a chicken. Okay, and you just move on. That's what love does. Impatience is a lack of love. So B, love is kind. Kindness means you're willing to help or assist. You're just so laser focused on other people. You're very attuned 
to the suffering of other people. You see what they either emotionally or physically need, and you realize, you look within yourself, and you go, you know, I can help meet that need. If that's your spirit, friends, you're exhibiting biblical love. You want to meet their emotional or physical needs. It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others is more significant than yourselves. By the way, this is one of the things that drives love is humility. You genuinely look at others and you feel in your heart, it's more important that they're happy than I'm happy. It's more important that their needs are met than my needs be met. So in humility, we count others as more significant of yourselves and that causes us to live out verse four. Therefore, let each of you look not out for his own interests only, but for the interests of others. If you can do that in humility, you see meeting others' needs more important than your own to the point where you wanna meet their emotional, physical needs. Friends, you're a loving person. You're exhibiting one of the symptoms and the characteristics of love. True love just considers, in marriage, it considers what's best for your mate. It means you're one of those couples that argues over where to eat, not to get what you want, but you're like, no, 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 we went to my place last time, let's go to your place, okay? It's, as odd as that bizarre argument is, that's a loving thing to do, that we're concerned with them. We do things for them that maybe you don't like. My wife does, she'll do things with me that she doesn't care for. I do things with her that I don't necessarily care for. I'm sorry to break it to you, I'm not really into British masterpiece theater. I don't know if that's a revelation or not. I mean, I hear that tune coming up, dun, 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 dun. It's like one of the trumpets of Revelation to me. And I know it's coming. You know, you're gonna get a bunch of old British people gossiping, did you hear about the Duke of Windsor? You know, and they're eating crumpets and I'm just, and at that point I just start massaging her feet, not because I love her, but because I need a stress ball. You know, I'm just, I've watched whole seasons of this stuff. Oh, where'd we go there? I just, but it's a way that we demonstrate love to one another. You know, we do things for one another, not because you want to necessarily, but because I genuinely want to be kind. I wanna do what's good for you. See, love does not envy. This is something now that love is not. If there is envy present, love is not present. You can't be envious and loving at the same time because they're mutually exclusive. Loving is, self, is others focused. Envy, the focus is on me. When we're envious, we either desire something that somebody has or we wish somebody didn't have something because I don't have it. And we become envious. You know, envy destroys relationships. Think of what envy did to Joseph's brothers. They envied his coat and his position with the father, what they want to do, they want to kill him. Think about what envy did to Saul with David and his relationship. David gets praised. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. Saul gets jealous and envious and ends up throwing spears, tries to make a pincushion out of David. That's what envy does. Envy causes Cain to kill Abel. Envy causes the Pharisees to be jealous of Jesus' popularity and seeks to put him on a cross. Envy kills relationships. You can't be envious of somebody and love them. In fact, uh, can we ever be envious in marriage, though? I mean, we're one flesh. How can I be envious of her? Certainly what's good for her is good for me, right? That's what love would say, but envy would say, no, no. It, you know, and we can be envious sometimes of their position, 
We can be envious that maybe our mate is more skilled in an area that we are. Maybe they're, they're quicker-witted, they're sharper, they're smarter, they're faster, they're stronger, they're in better shape. They're, uh, you know, sometimes maybe you have, if you, ladies, if you are a stay-at-home mom and you're working with the kids, sometimes you can be envious of your husband. Why can't I be pursuing my career right now? At the same time, the husband can look at that and go, man, I wish I could stay home. I miss my kids. I never see my kids. Boy, my wife's got it so good. She can stay with the kids. And so we can be envious of one another. And what that will do is it will slowly rot our marriage because you cannot be envious and loving at the same time. You will begin to pull apart from one another. There's an actor this week, I guess, who just came out with a memoir. A guy named, uh, was it Matthew Perry? I think he was like Chandler on Friends. Never saw the show, but... It, uh, anyhow, evidently he came up with a memoir and he's this TV guy. And at one point in time, he dated Julia Roberts who was the easily, arguably, the, one of the most famous actresses, you know, of our time, and he broke up with her. And what he said, evidently, in this memoir is that he broke up, broke up with her because she was too big for him. Now, it didn't mean that she was eating Cheetos and needed to go to the gym. Too big, he just meant that, here I am, I'm just this TV show guy, and here's this big-time movie actress, and he became envious of her, and what did it cause him to do? to pull away from her, to break up that relationship. And so envy will destroy a home if we are envious of one another. Instead, we are to, Romans 12, verse 15 says, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, and to live in harmony with one another. To harmonize, to play nicely together with other people, we have to be willing to let them have successes when we don't. If you can be happy for someone who's succeeding at something while you're failing at something, I have it on good evidence here that you're a loving person because you can rejoice with them. You're not envious of them, you're happy. It may not happen to me, but I'm glad it happened to you because I love you. And we, can, we do that sometimes, you know, in, in church, you know, you'll see a lady here and she just, she can't get pregnant and sees this other girl and she's invited her to yet another gender reveal party and you're like, you know, if you can be genuinely happy for her, you're a loving person. Somebody who's gone to 15 weddings as a bridesmaid, but not the bride, can you be happy for your friend that they got married? Somebody who got a promotion at work and maybe you just lost your job, can you be happy for them? You can if you're a loving person. And even in the home, we've got to be happy when something good happens to our mate, even if our life is in a place of suffering. That is love. We're going to say D here that love does not boast, it is not arrogant. Now, this particular word boast in the Greek is nowhere else in the Bible. It's called a hux. Okay, it's, it's, it's unique unto itself. And this particular word boast means uh, to think highly of oneself. In other words, I need to be at a certain place, so much so that I seek to be praised by other people. Now, sometimes that means we're Barney Fife. You all watch Andy Griffith, Right? Okay, for me, there's the Bible and there's Andy Griffith. It's down here, but man, it's up there in my life. Barty Fife, he's always looking for praise. Andy, he just quietly goes about his work. He's always deferring praise off to Barney, isn't he? But what is Barney? Barney has his own theme song when he's proud. You ever notice that? Dun, 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 dun. He's walking around. He's just kind of looking around. And he's proud. He's boastful. He loves praise. He loves to be noticed by people. You know, when they're shooting a motion picture in their town, he comes dressed up like as a, mon you know, like a mountain, just, hey, you know, and he's all dressed up, and he wants to be seen and praised. 
You know, when he saves Andy from the cave-in, at the very end of the show, he's giving false humility. Oh, I just wish people would forget about all that I did. And then Opie comes in with a trailer full of newspapers. I bought all the newspapers, Mr. Barney! And, and puts them on the desk. And it's, he just, he's always looking for praise. That's boasting. Do you respect Barney for that? No, when you see that, it's comedy. When we see it in real life, you don't respect it either, do you? You know, you tell somebody, oh, by the way, you know, I had a great game bowling last night, 135, and this guy goes, well, I'm on a league. I bowled 260 every week, <laughs> you know? And your first thought there is not, wow, you know, you're even better than I thought you were. You're not going, hey, hey, hang on, Jimmy, hang on. Other people are gonna wanna hear this. Hey, hey, <laughs> come on, guys, let's, let's listen to this. You need to understand how great Jimmy is at bowling. Let's go ahead, tell us the story about your bowling. You're not thinking that. You're thinking, man, this guy is all about himself that you are boastful. But why does a person boast? It ultimately arises from insecurity. I need to be recognized by people. I need for people to tell me I'm okay. Can I tell you, if you're looking for praise from people, it's never gonna be enough. You're gonna live with a constant black hole of love in your heart. And you're gonna be using every Facebook post as a fishing lure. And you're tweaking on that lure, trying to attract attention of people. Oh, yes, why, in fact, I did do this. You know, and you're trying to get everybody to notice your accolades and what you've done. So they'll say, wow, you're just so amazing. You're so great. You're so wonderful. And we're doing that because we want, we're, we're desperately seeking the praise of people. But when we're doing that and we are behaving in a boastful way, can we be that and loving? We can't. Similar to this word is a word called arrogant. Love is not arrogant. Arrogant is the, boastful is what you do. Arrogant is how you feel. It shows us the reason that we boast. It's a word that literally means puffed up. And if you have an old King James, that's what it'll say, is puffed up. You know, you think of a puffer fish out in the ocean. He's this big, but when he feels insecure and threatened by another fish, he tries to make himself look bigger than he really is. That's this word here, the Bible says we cannot be loving and trying to puff ourselves up to others. Hey, look at me, look how great I am. Praise me, say something great about me. Look at me, pay attention to me. And when this happens in a marriage, this can pull a marriage apart because now the two of you are competing for that significance. We're trying to extract praise. We're trying to extract our sense of self-worth from our mate. Can I tell you that your mate will never make you feel worthy? They don't have that kind of power. Only God can give you that. Only reading in God's word that you are my child, that you're a, you're a priesthood, a, a royal priesthood, a, a, a people called out unto me, my poema, my, my masterpiece, my workmanship. Only God can fulfill that need of self-worth. If we're trying to find it in people and accolades, it'll never be enough. And we'll find ourselves competing for that, won't we? Now, what does that look like in a marriage? If we are boastful and arrogant in our marriage, it means you're probably not a good conversationalist. You're dominating often the conversation because you, you need more time to talk about yourself and what you've done so that they can see how good you are. And you're not listening. And even when they're talking, you're just kind of, uh, let me get back out to what I was talking about. And you try to relate everything to you and it's all about you and your conversation's about you and your mate's gonna have this deficit of attention here because we are trying to focus things on ourselves. We're trying to be noticed for everything. We become, sometimes it will reveal itself in being hyper-competitive. It's not that I want to win. I must defeat little Billy at Candyland. 
because my sense of well-being demands that you perceive me as a winner. Now, I'm not saying if you're competitive that you're, you're carnal, okay? I'm, I'm just saying this hyper-competitivity sometimes arises from this lack of personal self-worth, and I've got to validate myself in front of others. When that is there as a couple, you're competing against each other now for validation rather than always looking to give praise to another. But isn't that what Proverbs says we're supposed to do? Let another man's lips praise you and not your own. So if we spend more of our time trying to validate our mate and make them feel secure in the relationship, and then we just trust God that maybe they'll do that in return. But even if they don't, can we still feel secure? We can. It comes from God's word, and God tells, you, tells us that he died on the cross for your sins and mine, that you are his child, that you are adopted. You weren't simply born into God's family. God adopted you. He chose you out and chose to put his love upon you. Friends, that's validation right there. We see here, E, love is not rude. Rude, by definition, is not keeping with accepted standards of what is right or proper in polite company. It means that we limit our freedoms. I may behave this way over here at one time when I'm by myself or with certain people, but when I'm around certain company, I'm aware of their sensitivities. And so I modify my behavior around them, my speech and my actions, so that I can put them in a place where they're feeling comfortable and confident. The opposite of that is rude. Love is not rude. Now, a lot of times we say love is not rude. It's what wives like to quote to their husbands. And I say, I say men because it's not usually the wife that is blaming her flatulence on the dog. It's not usually the wife who is belching out the ABCs to impress their you know, seven-year-old nephew that came over for dinner that night. It's usually the guys. And so love is not rude. Take into account the people that are around you. And it's also not just actions. It's not just forgetting to put down the toilet seat in the house. Sometimes love is not rude is our words. We remember what Proverbs says that Life and death are in the power of the tongue. So I'm going to curb my speech and my behavior around people to fit what is good for them. It's a word, Proverbs says, it's a word fitly spoken. It's a word, the right word spoken at the right time. That's polite. That's what love does. Rude says, I want to be authentic. I want to be, I'm going to keep it real. I'm just going to, that's just who I am. And I'm just going to share whatever comes to my mind. There's no filter here. It just goes from my, my brain to my mouth and out the door. How you receive it, I don't know. That's just who I am. You need to deal with that. Take me for who I am or don't take me at all. You know, that's not love. Well, if it is love, it's a different kind of love. It's self-love. It's not curbing our words or speech to what is good for others. Let's move on to point number F. Love does not insist on its own way. And this is just another fancy way of saying selfish. I'm insisting on my own way. When we go on vacation, it has to be my way. When we pick out a couch, it's got to be the one that I like. When we pick out something, an activity to do, a food to eat, whatever it is, a movie to watch on TV, it's always gotta, it's gotta be pleasing to me. The rallying cry of the person who insists on his own way is, I must always be pleased. I should be happy with every decision that happens in this house. I should be happy everywhere I go. I need to be, always be pleased. That's insisting on one's own way. And when we are doing that, we're not loving. We can't be insistent on our own way and be a loving person. Selfishness is not only unloving, but it's the chief characteristic of a lost person. Romans chapter two, verse six says, for those who are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Wrath and fury is talking about hell. 
The chief characteristic of a person going to hell is self-centeredness. Everything is about me and what I get and what I want. You see, when a person, Romans 10, 9, it says when we confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God has raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. We confess Jesus as Lord. It means that before Christ, I'm sitting on the throne of my heart and I'm barking orders to everybody around me. I see everybody around me as my loyal subjects and I want to make my world something that's pleasing to me, what I like. But when we receive Jesus, we make him Lord. We get off that throne room of our heart and we get on our knees before Jesus. We put Jesus, we enthrone him in our hearts. We allow him to be who he is and that is Lord. And we recognize that he is worthy to tell us what our life should look like. And now my life is spent not, spent not trying to please myself, but to please my Lord. And so I'm chiefly concerned with what honors God and what is loving to other people. It's a characteristic of a saved person is that you're not selfish yourself less. G, we see that love is not irritable or resentful. Irritable, it's the Greek word that sounds like the English word paroxysm. We don't use that term very often. First time in my life I ever even heard that term uh, was when I had vertigo. Anybody? Vertigo? Whatever it was that morning, I decided, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get my day started running, and I jumped out of bed. And as soon as I did, I crashed into the, my, my dresser, crashed back into the bed and then onto the floor. And I'd felt like I'd been sitting on a tilt-a-whirl for like two and a half hours. And I just, it was just, I, I had to have help to get back into bed. And the doctor told me I had benign, positional, I understand those two words, but then he said I had paroxysmal vertigo. Paroxysmal means it's something that comes upon you suddenly without notice. Like when I've gotten up thousands of other times out of my bed, leapt out of my bed and started my day. This time I leapt out of my bed on the ground. It was paroxysmal, it was a, it was a paroxysm. It, it hit me suddenly. That's what this word irritable is. It's that we are easily offended or hurt. As soon as there's the slightest bit of pain that we receive from somebody, it just, it's, it's like a thunderclap. It just hits us. It's a paroxysm, it's just suddenly, this person seems to be stable every other day, but all of a sudden, boom. Now they're unstable, they're easily irritated, they're easily offended, they're looking for reasons to be hurt and upset and offended at people. Friends, if we are easily offended and hurt, we cannot be easily irritated and loving. Why not? Because love is, the first word was patient. This is the opposite of patient here. This is, I've got no tolerance whatsoever. I'm gonna paroxysm. I'm gonna immediately and suddenly turn on you. The next word is resentful. This is the word legitsitai, from which we get the word logic. It literally means to keep an account of wrong suffered. It means I've got sort of a mental ledger, all the ways that people have bothered me in life. Uh-huh, Tyler, I see what you've done there, brother. I will remember that. You know, and I will bring it up when it's appropriate. You know, and so I, I just I keep a ledger on what everybody's ever done to me, and I keep this record of wrongs. And if we're not careful, friends, I've seen older folks carry these resentful spirits to their grave. And when they start losing their mind, all they can talk about is what somebody did in church 30 years earlier, and they're still just venting anger and frustration and hatred. It consumed their life and their thoughts and it consumes their final days. Friends, we don't want to be this. We don't want to be resentful. What do we do with the offenses when somebody hurts us? By the way, are we going to hurt each other? You're going to hurt each other in marriage. We're going to offend each other in church. It's, we're human. I'm going to hurt your feelings. You're going to hurt my feelings. 
What are we supposed to do? Do we, just, do we just split up and we just all do church by ourselves in our house? That's not church. Church means we come together and we are loving. We don't legitzitai, we don't keep a record of wrongs suffered. We love as Jesus loved. When, we, when Jesus tells us to pray, how do you tell him to pray? And forgive us our debts, sin debts against God, forgive us our debts as how? As we forgive others. We're not supposed to keep a record of wrongs suffered. Like God forgave us. Remember God says last week, he puts his sin behind his back. He chooses to not think about it. He puts our sins in the depths of the sea. He separates us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. Chooses to remember them no more. That's how God loves and forgives. That's how we love and forgive one another, whether it's a church or whether it's in a home. This is what we do. We, we put it behind us. H, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. So true love does not rejoice in sinful or evil things. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. And that's because love is not a characteristic that arose from the world. Love arose from God because the Bible says God is love. We love because he first loved us. So love is something God created. And because God created it, love is something that does not enjoy sin. So when you truly love a person, you don't enjoy the fact that they're sinning. You don't try to coerce them into sinning with you. Remember as a kid once, 1978, there was a movie came out called Grease. And uh, I didn't catch it until later when it was on the TV and edited for television. You know how they used to do that, edit movies for TV? And I saw it as a kid because I was just flipping the channels and I looked like a show that resembled Happy Days. Remember that? And uh, I thought, well, okay, let's see what's going on here. And there's this, there's this sweet little church girl, Sandra D. and there's this like greaser punk guy, you know, what was his name, Danny, something like that. And uh, they get together and uh, he's sort of the bad boy, not sort of, he's a really bad boy. And you got this sweet little church girl and uh, he try, you know, they go to the drive-in and that didn't go well. Tries, you know, getting what he can from her and just abusing her, rejoicing in wrongdoing. And yet, as the movie goes on, what do we find out at the end of the movie? You know, she shows up and she's now dressed like him and she's now sensually dancing like him and the two of them get together and, it, and it kind of, the movie kind of crescendos into this moment. It, it wants you to celebrate that this sweet little girl is now rejoicing in wrongdoing. She's kind of come over to the dark side with Danny and inexplicably they start flying off in their 1948 Ford Deluxe convertible and we're supposed to be cheering and applauding but what we're doing is rejoicing in wrongdoing. We're to rejoice that this girl has thrown away all her old-fashioned values and her old morals, and we're supposed to say, yay! Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. If Danny really loved her, he'd repent, and he'd go to church with Sandra D. but that isn't how the movie ends, and that wouldn't sell. Rejoices with the truth means that a healthy relationship will make you better for God with them than without Good dating advice, friends. If your dating in this person is straining your relationship with your parents, it's straining your relationship with God, you're less faithful to church, you're less faithful to read the Bible, you pray less, give less, serve less, can I tell you, you're in an unhealthy relationship. This is a relationship that is not rejoicing in the truth. It's not making, if we're not a better person for God with them, then what does that mean? We're, 
We're better off without them. We're better off with somebody. So we've got to pause and think, is this relationship that I'm with making me better for God or further away from God? And we evaluate true love based upon this metric. Now, if you're already married, you're stuck. So make the best of it. You know, but we should always be pausing to reflect, am I, am I being an example to my mate, husband or wife? Am I being a good enough example to my mate that I'm, I'm encouraging them to be faithful to God? Or am I encouraging them constantly not to be at church, not to read their Bible? Let's don't bother praying. Ah, we don't need to give this month. We're, it'll be okay. Let's just, let's use that money and go to Disney, you know? And, and we just, we're, our whole life just becomes now about us and not God. Contemplate how your life and how you choose to live it in front of your mate is, a, is an influence upon their heart. Love rejoices in the truth. G, love bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things. For love to bear all things, it just means to, it it's, comes from a word that means to cover up. It's a rooftop. It's, it's concealing what's going on inside. It's protecting what's going on inside because if you didn't have a roof, just like in a hailstorm, trying to enjoy the football game, getting clocked in the head with, you know, ice balls from the sky. It, it protects you. And so in that same way, when we truly love somebody, we want to protect them. We don't just uncover the roof of our house and go, hey, Jamie, did you see what Amber did to me last week? Look at my house. Yeah, you know I've got it rough, don't you? You know, it's not true, by the way. But we just start revealing things about our mates to others. Look at this. Look, look what my mate did to me. Let me pull off the roof of my house, peek inside our home. Yeah, I've got it pretty bad, don't I? When we do that and we are revealing the faults and the weaknesses of our mate to other people, that is un- Loving, Because what is love supposed to do? Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up strife. You know, it tries to reveal what people have done in wronging me so that they'll be mad too. That's, that's hatred. But love covers offenses. It covers a multitude of sins, of these weaknesses, of these offenses. We don't just reveal and share to others, look at that, look what they did. Can you believe how they wronged me? That's what the Bible calls Hatred. A loving person covers. They protect the reputations of other people. You know, the Holy Spirit, you know, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they both do something for us before the Father. They advocate for us. They speak to our defense. When Satan is accusing us, they speak to our defense. It's Satan that is called the accuser of the brethren. And so we don't want to be the accuser. Look at this person. Boy, Instead, we want to be their advocate. Yes, they've done wrong, but I want to speak to their defense. That's love. It means to bear all things. Believe all things. It doesn't mean that we're gullible. We just believe everything that our mate says. Believe, it has, it has the idea that I have faith in that person such that if I don't have all of the information, I, be, I believe, I choose to believe the best of you. I give you the benefit of the doubt. That's what love does. Love doesn't look at a situation from afar and say, well, I bet I know exactly what old Mark Renfro was thinking there when he did this and said that. I know he was mad at me. Well, I'm mad at him now. And I just, let me tell you about Mark Renfro. And, uh, you know, and we just, we just start sharing things about people based upon assumptions and we assume the worst of one another. When we immediately jump to negative conclusions, friends, we're not exhibiting love. Love is, it... All outward circumstances may appear that you did something wrong to me, but until I know for sure, I'm gonna assume the best. 
And if it looks clear enough, by the way, my love is going to cause me to go to you to take care of that sin or to take care of that offense. I'll come to you and I'll approach you privately and humbly. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. I'm going to do it privately. I'm not going to call all my friends and tell them what a no good wife that I have. I'm, I'm going to go directly to her. But in the meantime, I'm going to assume the best of her so that when I approach her, I'll say, you know, babe, when you did this, I took it this way. It felt like this. Is that what you meant by this? And then I let her speak into it. But until that time, I assume the best of her. That's what love does. It believes all things. Love also hopes all things. It expresses optimism in your marriage. It's looking to the future. It's believing God's going to do great things in your home. And it also endures all things. It's a term used of an army that they've put you in charge of a hill and you're side by side with your brothers and you're holding your shield. And no matter what arrows hit you, no matter what enemies hit you, no matter how many rocks are thrown your way, we will not move from this position. It, it endures. It means to remain up under difficulty. In a marriage, to endure all things means that we go through a lot of difficult things together. We go through sickness. Some of you have gone through cancer. Some of you have gone through the loss of a child. You've lost maybe a home. You've lost a lot of things. Despite that, you stay together. You endure all things. True love is a commitment to remain up under difficult situations because there is no such thing as any marriage that doesn't need endurance. And so this is God's true test, uh, test for true love. How do we do? I hope, by the way, as you're taking notes here, that you're not grading your mate. You know, I don't want to see anybody back there with Olympic signs, you know, 6.5, 8.2, sweetheart, on that one, boy. You, know, you, you nailed that, but we got a 4.3 over here. You know. This is a self-test. This is something we look at ourselves and say, God, am I like Jesus? Am I being loving? And even if they never are this way to me, God, by your grace, help me to show grace to them. Help me to be loving as you love. And so every time we say, I love you to our mate, let it be a reminder to us. I love you is not an expression of attraction. I feel very close to you. I enjoy you. I like you. I love you, when we say it, is a commitment to love our mates in this way. As 1 John 4, 11 tells us, if God has so loved us, brothers, so we also ought to love one another. Let's close in prayer. Father, this is hard to hear what love looks like because, Father, as we're, as we're preaching and teaching, I can see myself all over these things. We're not always these things, none of us. All we can do, Father, is hope to approximate these kind of traits and activities that we do with one another to try to be as much like you as possible, to be repentant in our heart and spirit when we identify when we're not patient, we're not kind, when we are envious or boastful. Lord, I pray that whether it's here in the church or in our marriages and our homes, you'd help us to be loving people. Because you asked the question, First John, you know, if we cannot love our brother who we do see, how will we love our heavenly father whom we do not see? How can we say we love God and hate our brother? How can we say we love God but we maybe resent or hate our own mate? Father, I pray that through this we would identify in our own hearts areas that need to be more loving and tender toward one another. Unite our homes together in love. Help us to treat love not as an attraction, not as a feeling, but as a verb, something that we do for one another. We ask this in Christ's name. From all of us here at Unity, we would like to thank you for spending time with us today. 
If you would like to know how to surrender your life to Christ, click on the link in the show notes, and we would love the opportunity to help you in your next steps. If you've enjoyed today's talk, remember to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. And as promised, if you would like more information about Unity, you can connect with us at unitybaptistashland.com or on Facebook at UBC Ashland.